title of this morning's message is Secrets of the End Times. We're going to look a little bit at the book of Revelation, help you to understand, hopefully, a little bit about the book of Revelation. We're actually going to start reading, though, in the book of Luke, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Understand the book of Revelation, the reason it's called that is because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation that Jesus Christ gave to John and had John write. John wrote many of the things he saw, some of the things he saw, he was told, don't write that down, and he didn't write it down. We don't know what that was, but apparently it wasn't valuable for us today, and so he was given instructions not to write down, which gives us more confidence that the things that he did write down are exactly what Jesus Christ wanted recorded. It was a revelation. It's one revelation. Now, oftentimes we like to put an S on the end of that word and call it revelations, because in our mind, that's a big revelation. And so we like to break it up into little ones, but the the proper name of the book is Revelation, Revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus talked about this revelation a little bit while he was here, but he gave us a little insight into it in the book of Luke. But but the, the things that he revealed in the book of Revelation, the reason it's called Revelation is because these are things that weren't known before. And many of the things still trouble us today. They trouble our understanding, they trouble on our interpretations, they, they have changed based upon the worldview over the years, and, and so it's good to go back and, and look at them in the context that they were given in, and understand that the, everything that's revealed in that book, those are secrets. Those are things that we could never have known unless Jesus Christ chose to reveal them to us. He revealed them to us for a reason. It wasn't just so that we could you know, revel in things that haven't happened yet. It wasn't just so that we could learn a lesson from the, the seven churches. It was, it was because there were valuable things in there that we need to know to live our lives today. We need to be aware of what's going on in the book of Revelation because we need to see how does it compare to what's taking place today. Luke chapter number 21, verse number 5. Said, and, as he, and as he spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. He said, as for these things which ye behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon the other, another, that shall not be thrown down. And they asked and asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. But when ye shall hear of the wars and commotions, be not terrified. For these things must must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Then said he, in verse number 10, then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines and pestilence, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these they shall lay their hands on you, and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and to the prisons, to being brought before the kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for your testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I will give you a mouth in wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to uh, to gainsay nor resist. And you shall be betrayed, both by parent and brethren and kinsfolks and friends, and some of you shall shall they cause to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. 
but there should not be a hair on your head perish. And your patience possesses your souls. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then knoweth that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in, in Judea flee into the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of, the, of it depart out. And let not them that are of the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there be, shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive unto all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trotted down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the moon, in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth, distresses of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he's talking about a time when the temple will be destroyed. And they're asking the question, well, when is this going to be destroyed? And, and then he goes into this huge revelation, a revelation that they hadn't heard before. A revelation that was touched on by, 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 by a little bit in the Old Testament by some of the prophets, but now he's, he's giving some very specific things, and he's giving very specific warnings to them. And he takes this revelation, and he talks about this revelation more in the book of Revelation. I encourage you to be a student of the book of Revelation, to read it, study it, understand it. Be very careful with people that present things as facts that are not presented as facts in the Bible. I hear all kinds of bad information about the book of Revelation and the secrets that are revealed there. Much speculation, much, much uh, uh, theological gymnastics takes place over the book of Revelation. Be careful. Take it with what it says and use the Bible to determine and decipher the things that are there. And when something's not clear, be okay with that. If it's not clear right now, there's one of two reasons. Either you're not ready for what it says or God's not ready to fully reveal what it says. Either way is okay. Take what you do know. Take what you do understand. Just a few things I want to touch on in the book of Revelation this morning that will hopefully help us to uh, have a... Uh... So let's, let's look at the, some of the things that are revealed to us in the book of Revelation. First of all, there's two trinities in the Bible. Did you guys know that? There's the Holy Trinity... And there's the unholy trinity. Well, with the holy trinity, we have the Father, we have the Son, we call Christ or Jesus, and we have the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. This is the, the holy trinity. This is the, the trinity that was present at the time Jesus Christ was baptized. This is the trinity that was present in Genesis chapter 1 when the world was created. One God operating independently as three separate identities, three separate persons all coexisting at the same time. There's nothing on this earth that operates in this way. There's nothing that is completely one thing and separate and completely something else at the same time that it's completely the same thing. It doesn't exist. Physically, it cannot exist. This is a spiritual trinity. 
God doesn't just appear in these three forms. God is three different forms at the same time. At the baptism of Jesus Christ, he was in his physical form, Christ, Jesus. But at the same time, the voice from heaven was the Father that said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then we see the Holy Spirit in the image of a, of a dove that came down out of heaven. We see all three independent from each other, but yet all three still one God. It'll keep you up at night trying to understand some of these things, but we just have to take it by faith. Because sometimes things in the Bible, the only way we can understand them is by faith. And the Trinity is one of those things. Well, Satan is a great counterfeiter. Satan is not a creator. He is a counterfeiter. So he counterfeits things. He counterfeits things that look kind of right, but there's a little bit of poison in them. He has counterfeit churches. If we opened up a church in town or Satan opened up a church in town, you know, the, the first church of Satan of St. Cloud, Florida, not too many people would go there. Because they'd be like, why would I want to go worship Satan? But if we put on their first gospel Christian enlightened church of St. Cloud, people are like, oh, okay, that sounds good. And people will flock there not knowing that it's actually the first church of Satan of St. Cloud. Unfortunately, most churches fall into that category. Most churches fall into the category of being satanic churches because they only have about 90% of this word. They only follow Jesus about 90% of the time. Many of, many of the biggest ones don't follow Jesus at all. They may put his name on the sign outside, but they don't follow his teachings at all. And they're satanic churches because he's a counterfeiter. And he's counterfeited the Trinity. Instead of the Father, we have the head of the, of the Trinity is Satan, the first person. Satan, the fallen angel, Lucifer, who tried to usurp God's authority, tried to take his place and was cast out of heaven for it. Satan. The dragon, as he's called in the book of Revelation. The great serpent. Then we have the Antichrist. He's the, one of the beasts of the Bible. One of the, there's two beasts in the book of Revelation. The Antichrist is one of them. This is a human, by the way. Satan is not a human. This is a human. You want to know what his name is? <laughs> Me too. It hasn't been revealed yet. I don't know. I remember when I was a kid... I remember when I was a kid, one of the pastors was like, it's Kissinger. It's got to be Kissinger. And I'm like, okay. And now I'm fairly confident it's not Kissinger at this point. But a lot of times people will raise up and, and I'm like, yeah, they fit the mold. They, they, that, that could be it. And then, you know, something happens, they go by the wayside. We don't know a ton about him. We know that he's a political leader. He may not be a political leader at the beginning, but when he is revealed as the Antichrist, he is a political leader. He may not call himself a political leader, but that's what he will be. He'll be the head of the one world government at one point. He'll be the one that will sit in, the, in Jerusalem. The abomination of desolation. The Antichrist. He's called the beast, the beast that comes out of the sea. We have another beast. It's a, it's a beast that comes out of, the, out of the land. This is the false prophet. This is also a human. This will be a religious leader. Where we've got the Antichrist who's a political leader, the false prophet will be a religious leader. And the three of them will work together. And the world will follow them. The world will follow them into the, into the revelation. Through the revelation. 
He's called the beast of the land. There's a lot of speculation about why is one called the beast of the sea and one is the beast of the land. Some speculation is, well, maybe the sea is talking about Jerusalem, the land is talking about Gentiles, which would mean one is a Jew and one is a Gentile. I can just as easily disprove that as I can prove that. We don't really know why he specifies it, except that this is very clear. The beast of the sea and the beast of the land, that's where they get their power. Their power comes from Satan. Satan is the ruler of this world. See, Satan's power is in this world. The power he gives us is in this world. This is why uh, witchcraft and things, they, they, they worship what? Nature. They draw their power from the aura of the world because that's where the power of the land and the sea is at. Our power doesn't come from this world. Our power is the power that created this world. Our power is from the Father, from Jesus Christ. We were created by his hand. So their power comes from the land, their power comes from the sea, and where that sounds pretty powerful, pretty great, understand it's limited. And our power is unlimited. Not only is our God's power unlimited, but our power, if we're in him, is also unlimited. We have his power. So these are going to seem like great and powerful people, and it's interesting that the the uh, religion that the false prophet is going to head is going to be a religion that, well, let me back up. The, uh, whoops, wrong way. The, uh, the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us when he's in full effect, when he's in full effect at a church, it won't cause you to dance. It won't cause you to fall down on the ground. That's nowhere in the Bible. That's just all foolishness of men. There's no such thing as being slain in the Spirit in the Bible. All that stuff is stuff that's been made up by men. And when the Holy Spirit is in full control, do you know what he does? He points to Jesus. The more power we give the Holy Spirit in the church, the less we see the Holy Spirit, and the more we see Jesus Christ. Because it's all about him and what he's done for this world. Likewise, this false trinity, the, the false prophet, he's going to point the world to the Antichrist. In essence, this religion is going to be a religion that worships the government because the government is the Savior. The government can fix everything. And all these problems that we're going to see, there's going to be a, a, a way that the government is going to try and fix it or explain it first and then try to fix it. So explaining the unexplainable. There are going to be some things that are going to take place during the tribulation, some things that are going to take place leading up to the tribulation that are going to have to be explained. And the, the world is going to look to these three for their explanations. There's going to be unparalleled natural disasters. We're already seeing that today. We're seeing unparalleled natural disasters today as we ramp up. We're not in the tribulation yet. But as we ramp up for the tribulation period, we're starting to see those things. We're starting to see them take place. We're seeing earthquakes bigger than any other earthquakes we've ever measured. We're seeing heat hotter than we've ever measured, which is debatable. We're seeing storms with a higher frequency and more intensity than has ever been recorded. And they have to explain these things. They have to explain a mass disappearance of people because Jesus Christ is coming back in the clouds. And when he comes back in the clouds, I'm going home. And they're going to have to explain where I went. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going home too. And we're all leaving at the same time. This mass exodus, 
albeit probably only about 10% are left, left of the world, but that's a substantial number of people. They're going to be here one moment and gone the next moment. That requires an explanation. They're going to look to the government. The FBI is going to have to investigate. Yeah, the Senate's going to have to have a special uh, council put together to investigate this mass, dis- mass uh, disappearance. There's going to be worldwide pestilence. You know what pestilence is? Pandemics. Worldwide pandemics. That will probably never happen. We could never have a worldwide pandemic, right? We're going to have more and more because we're getting ready for that end. And the government has to groom us, has to get us ready so that when they tell us to do something, we do it. Little by little, bit by bit. Worldwide hunger. You see, when things start taking place, when, when some of the unparalleled natural disasters, by the way, it's going to get a lot worse. Every mountain is going to be moved from its foundation. Every mountain. Think about that. You ever driven up through the Tennessee, the Carolinas, up through the, the uh, Adirondacks, up into New York and all? Have you ever driven through those places? Maybe through the Rocky Mountains? And just the, the, how huge and impossible to move that they are? Every one of them is moving from where it's at. That's why you should live in Florida. The only mountain we have around here is the trash dump in the middle of town. And that's just going to fall over on those new apartments. Mount Trashmore. It's Mount St. Cloud. Everybody knows that. That's what we're named after, Mount St. Cloud. There's going to be earthquakes in combination with that. We're going to see water turn to blood just like in the Old Testament. That's a lot worse than what we've had to deal with so far. We're going to see part of the sun blotted out. We're going to see the moon become red like blood. And at one point, all the stars are going away. The Bible says that the entire heaven is rolled up like a scroll. They're all going away. This is going to lead to some huge problems. Hunger being one of them. But they're already getting us ready for each one of these. They're already putting things in place. Now, now this is speculation. What I've told you so far is fact. This is speculation. I want to point that out. This is what I see today happening in the news today, not yesterday, not what I'm anticipating tomorrow. This is what I see today that is setting the stage for an easy way to explain these things. How do they explain unparalleled natural disasters? Climate change. Can't turn on the TV without hearing about climate change. They preach it. They push it down your throat. They force businesses to adhere to it. They they are taking away things. They you know they're trying to make gas stoves illegal because of climate change. You know they're they're targeting your air conditioning now, which is just bizarre. You know the the uh, um, they say it's getting hotter and hotter, but they don't want you to use your air conditioners now because the Freon is bad for the environment. Watch the price of Freon next year. If all the bills pass that the Democrats are trying to ram through right now, watch the price of Freon. It's probably going to double or triple next year. So what does that do to your air conditioner when you have to get it recharged? What does that do when you have to get a new air conditioner? Watch the prices and see how fast they're going to go up because they don't want you using air conditioner. Why? Because they want you to be in pain. They want you to be in pain and, and hate climate change so much that you will do anything the government tells you to make it go away. 
without mass disappearance of people. Have we seen anything in the news lately? Has our government created any new um, uh, departments that could help explain how people are just going to disappear off the, the face of the earth without any explanation? Aliens. For years they've told us there are no aliens, there are no aliens, there are no aliens. Now they're saying, hey, guess what? There's aliens. And we've, got, we've created a new department of the government that's going to study them and analyze all the data. By the way, aliens are demons. So yeah, there are aliens. Are they created life forms on other planets? No, they're demons. And they're very subtle. But now we're going to start, watch. In the next few years, before Christ comes back, we're going to see the existence of aliens being proven. Is this demons? By the way, that's what ghosts are too. Ghosts are demons. You ever wonder what a ghost was? Ghosts are usually kind of stupid demons. See, people don't understand that demons kind of follow a hierarchy just like angels do, just like people do. You've got really, really intelligent, super intelligent ones like Lucifer, and then you've got really, really dumb ones, and the dumb ones are haunting houses. They don't know, there's nothing else they can do. They're the civil servants of the demon world. So, we have civil servants in here? That wasn't not, oh, sorry. We have armed civil servants in here. How could I have forgotten? Uh, not those civil servants. The ones standing on the corner holding the sign. No, it's not them either. We'll take all that out and post as well. I don't, I don't know how to recover from that. So, aliens. I mean, have you ever seen anything like what we're seeing now with aliens? Do you ever think that our government would, would establish a department and fund a department just to study extraterrestrial beings? That blows my mind. Worldwide pestilence. Pandemics, we kind of touched on that already. We're already seeing it. We're already seeing it. So when it happens, they'll be like, well, this is just the, the next one. We've done this before. We've done this before. Worldwide hunger, supply lines, manufacturing. We're going to see supply lines. When, when uh, mountains start falling, the supply lines are legitimately going to be disrupted. But we're going to be used to that. Why? Because we see that today. How often today, how often in the last three years have you gone to the store to get something and the manager said, we're out of that. We can't buy to toilet paper, supply lines. Uh, eggs are, are costing three times as much because of supply lines. You know, I don't think the chickens knew there was a pandemic, but apparently they did. And putting a mask on the chicken apparently causes it to stop laying eggs. My grandpa was a chicken farmer. We never had that problem. You had chickens. They laid eggs. When they stopped, they became dinner. It's just kind of the way it worked over there. <laughs> but anyways, apparently pandemics affect chickens laying eggs and everything else. Anything you need is affected. You pay more for everything today. Why? Because of the pandemic, because of the supply lines. Somehow truckers stopped driving. So there's their solution. They've got a reason, but they have to have a solution. This fake trinity has to come up with a solution. What is the solution to all the world's problems? What is the solution today when something goes wrong? When a hurricane hits and your house is destroyed, who do you cry out to to save you? Government. Specifically the government of the Antichrist. Pandemic, who's going to save us? Government. There's not enough food at, the, at, the, at Publix. Who's going to save us? The government. No matter what it is, we turn to the government. We continue to fund the government almost half of our paychecks and see very little results from it. 
The amount of money, you know, we were talking the other day about health care or uh, um, um, mental health services here in Osceola County. We pay a lot of money for mental health care in, in Osceola County. Where is it? Because it's that we have holding rooms. We take somebody that's on a Baker Act, we stick them in a room for three days, and we just release them. They're not being treated. If they want to be treated, we have very limited space here. We almost always have to send them to Orlando or, or Lakeland or, or someplace else because we just don't have the room here. But yet we're funding it. It's coming out of our checks. They take money out of our checks every, every time you gas up. An extra five cents of that gallon goes just for county road improvements here in town. Where's it going? And I'm, this isn't a, an anti-tax or anti-government diatribe. I just want you to see the mentality that, that here we're expecting the government to fix anything, and the government has never fixed anything in its entire life. Not once. The closest thing they had to a profitable organization was the Postal Service. And then Congress saw that it was making money and took control of it. And now our Postal Service is way in debt. They can't pay their retirement for their workers now. And there was a problem before Congress got involved. Anything our government touches gets worse. And it'll be the same thing here. They're going to come out and they're going to have short-term solutions. The Antichrist is going to come out and say, hey, I've got food. We can feed these people. We've got trucks. We can get it to them. We've got, we've got uh, vaccines that will take care of the pandemics. We've got all these solutions, and they're going to be short-lived, but people are going to flock to the Antichrist. Why would anybody follow the Antichrist? All their pain goes away. And if you resist, they kill you. Thousands and thousands will be killed during the tribulation because they just will flat-out refuse. See, we're gone during that time. But there will be other Christians that will get, accept Christ as their Savior during the tribulation period. There will be 144 Jewish people who will become um, uh, testimony, become uh, witnesses, become apostles, to, or uh, pro prophets for, the, for, the, um, for Jesus Christ to evangelize the world. And from those 144 evangelists, we're going to see millions of people saved and executed for their faith. We see them in the book of Revelation where they're under the throne. They're crying out for justice because of they've been martyred. We see this taking place. It's their solution. We won't be here for this. Why do we need to, why do we need to know this? Why, why is this important? Because our response. We need to know the truth for one thing. We need to know the truth so that we can understand and see what's coming. We need to know the truth so even though it's inevitable, we should resist it. We should resist the faults. We should know the faults as well and resist it. When they start talking about things that, that we recognize as being untrue, even though we know the book of Revelation is going to happen, it's our job as Christians, as ambassadors of heaven, it's still our job to stand up and sound the alarm. We are to be the watchmen on the wall. Whether anybody listens or not doesn't matter. We're supposed to be the watchmen on the wall to tell them of what's coming and what's happening. Our job, our job doesn't change. Our job has been the same since Jesus Christ ascended until, until it, we ascend and we go home. Look at Matthew. What do we normally call Matthew 28, 20? Or 18 through 20? What do we call those verses? What is it? Somebody said it. Great Commission. Thank you. The Great Commission. 
That's our commission. Because this is Jesus Christ taking everything that he's capsulated, everything that he's done while he was on earth for those three years, three and a half years, and this is before he has ascended into heaven. He's resurrected, but he hasn't ascended, and he's giving them their marching orders. And in verse number 18 of chapter number 28, he says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. What are we supposed to do? First of all, we go. We go. It is the responsibility of every Christian to go. We have to get up. And we have to go tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Every one of us. That's not my job any more than it is your job. We've reduced pastors in this country down to hired guns. Where we say, well, we give him a salary and, and give him a degree. And now he can go do all the, all the work that we don't want to do. That's not the way the job works. My primary responsibility isn't just preaching the word, but empowering you through sermons like this to go out and tell people about the gospel. And it's the easiest thing to do. People are like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. It's easy. You know why? The Holy Spirit tells you what to say. We should study. We should know. But the Holy Spirit will lead us. The Holy Spirit will open up doors. I was sitting in a, in a meeting with my banker the other day. And just out of the blue, she says, let me ask you a question. Okay. She says, if Jesus is real, why do kids get hurt? Now, I've heard that that voiced a hundred different ways. You know, if Jesus is real, if God is real, why is there evil in the world? You know, why didn't he kill Hitler? All these different things and all. And that's a difficult conversation to have because it's kind of an involved question. It's not a simple answer. But I gave her a simple answer that somebody gave me a few years back, and then I gave her a more detail. I told her, I said, there's billions of bars of soap in the world, and yet there's still dirty people. Why is that? Well, they're not using the soap. You're right. And Jesus is real, but there's still sinful people in the world because they won't apply Jesus Christ. They won't use Jesus Christ. And I think she kind of got that. I went in to explain to her that, that one of the reasons why sin exists in the world is because as humans, we're created in the, the form of our Father, in the image of our Father, and we have a desire to be loved. We have a desire to find that person who will love us unconditionally, we want that. We don't want to be alone. We want that person. And so Jesus wants that person too. God wants that person too. But the only way that somebody can love you unconditionally is they have to have the option not to. They have to be able to leave. They have to be able to say, I don't love you. They have to be able to walk away. And God and all his sovereignty and all his power gave us, who are less than ants to him, the ability to tell him no and reject him. And mankind in masses has done that. And we can't reject Jesus Christ and then cry because he doesn't do what we want him to do. It's like the child who's riding the bike and the dad is running behind him holding the seat and the child's like, let go, let go, let go. I want to ride it on my own. And as soon as the dad lets go, he runs into the mailbox. And then he gets up and blames the dad for letting go. But we act like that. We act like impetuous children. 
with Jesus. We tell Jesus we don't want him in our schools. We tell Jesus we don't want him in our, in our entertainment. We tell Jesus we don't want him in our homes. We tell Jesus he doesn't have any place in our work. And then we wonder why he's not talking to us. I wonder why he's allowing evil to come to us. I wonder why we're running into the mailbox after we demanded that he let go. We need to go and tell the world. The world needs to understand that God loved them so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for them. That God doesn't hate them. That God loves them. The world needs to hear that. Because we live in a world that we live in a world that doesn't feel loved. There's a lot of hate in this world. And when somebody is hated long enough or feels like they're hated long enough, they start hating everything around them. And we're surrounded by that kind of hate. We're surrounded. We need to go. We need to teach. What are we teaching? Look in Romans 3.23. You should have these memorized, by the way. These verses I'm about to share with you. You should write these down. If you don't have them memorized, put them on your list of verses to memorize. Romans 3.23. This one tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, I like that verse and I hate that verse. I hate that verse because it tells us that we've all sinned, but I like that verse because it puts us all in the same place. We don't have to wonder if Ryan's a sinner. He's a sinner. We don't have to wonder if Lisa's a sinner. She's a sinner. You have to wonder if I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. We have to worry if Danny's a sinner. He's a sinner. How do we know that, David? Because it says all have sinned, right? That's all of us. All have sinned. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. Every single one of us has come short of the glory of God. That's a a verse that, that balances everything out. It brings us all into the same place. Go back a little bit in Romans chapter 3. You want more explanation in this? Romans 3, 10 through 18 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. It doesn't get much more emphatic than that. There are none that are righteous. There is none that understandeth. Then he breaks it down. This is painful to read, by the way. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Not only do we not understand, not only are we not righteous, we're not even looking for God. (coughs) Fortunately, God's looking for us. They are all gone out of their way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Do you know what a sepulcher is? It's a grave. You know what an open grave smells like? Rotting flesh. Their throats are like an open grave. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is in under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Jesus is talking about the world. Paul is is, is talking about what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the world here. This is the world we live in today. They don't want God. They don't seek after God. They don't have any desire. Matter of fact, they go out of their way to avoid God. You don't believe me? The next time there's a conversation about anything on Facebook, bring up a a scripture verse that applies. And watch how quick people on both sides of the argument will all of a sudden focus an attack on you. Because they hate it. 
They go out of their way to attack it. They have no respect for God. They have no fear for God. This is the world we live in. This is how we explain these things. The world needs to understand this, that this isn't new. God understood them 2,000 years before they were born. God already knew. Then we go to Romans 6.23, which is the wages of sin is death. We'll stop there, and we'll come back to that in just a minute. That is right, right? I didn't turn there in my Bible. I should probably just not do this from memory after messing up one time. Yep. The wages of sin is death. This, this is where we explain to them, because of all this sin, we can't ignore the fact that we're sinners. We've all done something. We, as humans, we try to, to grade sin, right? We try to grade sin. And, you know, if we look at the, the, that, that guy that, that shot those two cops the other day, yesterday, that, that's a bad dude, right? And we're like, wow, I'm glad I'm not bad like him. And nobody's crying a tear today because he died. Why? Because he was such a bad sinner. But yet here I am, and I get a little angry at somebody because they cut me off in traffic, and I'm like, well, that's okay. That's understandable. That's reasonable. That's just human nature. But God looks down and says, it's all sin. And we've all sinned, and we've all come short of the glory of God, and there's a wage for that sin. There is, a, there is something that we deserve because of that sin, and the wages of that sin is death. doesn't matter if you curse somebody in your car or shoot a cop. You're, you deserve the death penalty. You deserve the death penalty. By the way, I heard this morning that both those officers are going to fully recover, so praise God for that. The wages of sin is death. Death in the Bible means a couple things. One, it does mean physical death. This is, why, this is why things in this world die. This is why it looks like bad things happen to people because you know bad things happen because the world is full of sin. Things die because of sin. Not just people. Animals die because of sin. Plants die because of sin. Your car dies because of sin. If it wasn't for sin, your battery wouldn't wear out. If it wasn't for sin, your, the things wouldn't rust out. It's because of sin. The world is inundated with this disease of sin. But you notice we didn't read that whole thing. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Notice now it's not wages. It's not something we've earned, but now it's a gift. It's a gift from God. Gift from God is not just life, but what? Eternal life. It's more. It's not just the opposite. It's more. It's not just life or death. It's more than that. It's life, but it's life eternal and it tells us how we get this is through what? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. There is no other way. Jesus Christ is the way. Happy thoughts won't get you there. Following a religion won't get you there. Being a good person won't get you there. You know, uh, helping a turtle across the street won't get you there. If you're saved, it may get you there quicker because some people get hit doing that. But it won't get you there. What gets you to heaven? Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone. Say, well, I believe in God. So does Satan. Well, Satan had a belief in, a belief, a belief in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that the, 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 the demons believe and they tremble, but that won't get them there. It's not a belief of Jesus Christ. It's a belief in Jesus Christ. At one point, it's called a belief on Jesus Christ. There's a difference there. It's not just a head knowledge. It's a heart knowledge. A lot of people have a head knowledge about God. They have a head knowledge about Jesus Christ, but they don't have a heart knowledge about Jesus Christ. And this is what it takes. It takes a heart knowledge. Look in Romans 
I love this verse. That word commendeth that we're going to look at, that means expressed or showed. Commendeth is a, a word we use today, we just don't use it a lot. So, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When did he die for us? While we were still sinners. Why is that important? Because and we've all been through this. Most of us have been through this. Or we've experienced it with somebody else. They're like, you know, I want to start going to church. I want to start following Jesus. I want to get saved. I want to do all these things. But first, I want to quit smoking. First, I want to, I want to get my family right. First, I want to quit drinking. First, I want to get cleaned up and, and right before I start going to the church, before I start doing these things, before I start following Jesus. But that's not the way it works. That's getting the cart before the horse, as they used to say. This tells us that Jesus Christ died for us, that he shed his blood for us while we were yet sinners. Others, right where you are, the world needs to hear this. The world is like, well, i got to keep this rule and this rule and this rule. No. It's not about keeping rules. It's not about keeping commandments. It's about Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. When you go to him and you accept him, then all of a sudden those rules that look so big, and they don't seem that big anymore. They just seem like nature. They just seem like nature. It's just our wants become his wants. Or actually, his wants become our wants. And we don't have those things anymore. He commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's when he shed his blood for us. While we were sinners. He shed his blood for you before you were born. He shed his blood for you before your parents were born, before your grandparents and your great-grandparents. He shed his blood for you over 2,000 years ago. Let's look at the next verse. In Romans chapter number 10, there's three verses here I want you to see. Remember I told you it was the, the difference between a, a head knowledge and a heart knowledge? Romans 10.9. Romans 10.9 says, That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We confess with our mouth. By the way, the mouth is symbolic there, just like heart is symbolic, actually. We're not talking about the, the physical mouth. We're not talking about the organ of the heart. We're talking about an outward communication. There's a, an outward commitment, a mental commitment to the fact, and sometimes it is out loud, sometimes it's silent, because God can hear everything. But we confess it with our mouth. We, we, we express that confession. What are we confessing? We're confessing that we're sinners. We're confessing that we deserve to die. We're confessing these things before God. And then we believe in our heart. Like I said the heart isn't, isn't technically that organ inside of us because this is all physical and we're saved spiritually we use that heart because it means our most innermost being it's interesting though that that even back then before they understood um, anatomy that god gave them the picture of the heart and how vital the heart is you can live with almost without almost any other organ you can lose a lung and still survive lose a kidney, you can lose your liver, you can lose all kinds of things and still survive. Or you can work with parts of it. But your heart, you got to have your heart. you got to have your heart. Confess with our mouth, that's the mental. 
believe in our heart. That's our spiritual belief. That's our soul. That's our, that's our true being. By the way, everything you see isn't really me. When you look in the mirror, and you look in the mirror, and you're like, oh, I got a wrinkle, or I got to moisturize, or it's, it's time to shine my head, uh, you know, whatever, whatever the case is. It's like, I'm glad your mom and dad aren't here today. That's like the third time I've gone right at Ryan. Uh, and, and so whatever that thing is, it's not really you. That's why, have you ever felt like, some of you older people understand this, you ever been like, you feel like you're 20 in here, and then you stand up, and you don't feel 20 anymore? (laughs) Hey, I'm a young guy. (laughs) Right? That's because we are. As Christians, we have that life inside of us. We're very youthful inside. Unfortunately, this clay vessel that we live inside of is wearing out. Good news is we get a new body. (sighs) A young body that doesn't have joint pain. And we get all that, we get that new physical. But that spiritual lives on forever. And the world needs to know that. The world needs to know this. They need to know that we confess with our mouth. It's not just enough to confess with our mouth, it's not just enough to say it. We also have to believe it in our hearts. Because when we say things that our heart disagrees with, or we try and trick God, by the way, you can't trick God. We, we start taunting God. We don't want to taunt God. We don't want to try and trick God. And God's already angry enough at us as it is. Do we really want to play games with him? It's not how it works. Romans 9, then look at Romans 10 and Romans 13. Romans 10 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And verse 13 kind of brings it all together. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. What does that mean? We just said what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Whosoever shall, shall call upon the name of the Lord might be saved. What is it? Oh, that's right. Shall be saved. It's not might be, right? But yet there's Christians all over the world that are living like, maybe I was saved, maybe I wasn't saved. It's not might be, shall be. It's a very interesting verb tense. It implies the fact that by the time we finish that sentence, it's done. It's not something we're waiting on. We're not being saved. We are saved. It's not something that's going to happen in the future. It's not something that's going to happen in five minutes. It's something that happened right now. We're saved. If you're here today and you've never done that, you need to get saved today. Stop with all the playing games with God. Stop with all the foolishness. Stop with all the embarrassment. Stop with everything else and humble yourself before God and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Today. And if you're a Christian that thinks, well, might be saved, and you're sitting on that fence, you're not sure if you're saved, you're not sure if you're not saved, settle it today. Why not settle it today? You are no good to God You are no good to the church. You are no good to your family. You are no good to yourself if you live in a constant state of doubt about your salvation. Settle it. Settle it. Say, I think I'm saved, but I'm not sure. Settle it today. Settle it before God today. And know that you have eternal life. This is our responsibility. This is what we're supposed to do. This is where we're supposed to live as Christians. And then we baptize. That's our great command. We baptized four last Sunday. Praise God. They've already done all this. 
All this right here, this was all done. They're already saved. They're on, on their way to heaven. They just made a public declaration. Why do they make a public declaration? Because once you've made a public declaration, it's easier to go teach and tell others. Because you've already put it out there. You've already put it out there. We live in a society today, we live in a time of technology today where it's easier than ever before to share the gospel with the world. And yet Christians have become quieter today than they ever have been in all of history. We sit at home spending hours on our phones or our computers with an audience of thousands and we never mention the name of Jesus Christ. How sad is that? We're shocked when a celebrity stands up and says, yes, I'm a Christian. Really? Because you've been in front of millions for years and never proclaimed anything about Jesus Christ. What a waste. Uh, hopefully they are Christians. But what a waste that there's nothing in their life has ever given evidence of that. Nothing in their words has ever given evidence of that. Where are you at today? We need to be ready. Because very, very soon, the trumpet's going to sound. Very, very soon, we're going to be caught up. And it happens in the twinkling of an eye. Faster than I can snap my fingers, we'll be gone. There are going to be people that are going to be left behind here, people that you love, because you didn't go, you didn't tell, and you didn't teach. There are going to be people that are here that are going to have to suffer through the, those earthquakes and the pestilence and the murders because you wouldn't tell them about Jesus Christ. Guys, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty any more than the Scripture already does. I want you to understand, this is important. And it's, you know, it's great to play church. You know, come together, sing some songs, have a reading from the Word, come to work day, have some food, you know. That's all. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But that cannot be and is not our primary mission as Christians. We have to go. We have to teach. We have to tell. We have to baptize. 